Seismic shifts have hit our society, leaving people unmoored from truth and unsettled in their faith. The question asked by David in Psalm 11.3 resonates among many today. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In our present cultural environment, it's imperative for followers of Christ to be convictional, courageous, and compassionate. We must know what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can communicate it to others. In short, we must be unshaken in our faith, Psalm 62.2, and unashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. Grounded in truth and lived out in God's grace, our faith in Christ will change our own lives and ultimately help transform a broken world. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street, and when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. This message called The Real Reality is from our sermon series called Unshaken and Unashamed. Listen now to part one. So here's a question. Does the Bible ever feel like a puzzle to you? You open up the Bible and you might read about Abraham and you might remember a few things about Abraham and then you come across the book of Numbers and book of Leviticus, and you're like, ooh, all these laws and rules and sacrifices, and you're like, oh, there's the Ten Commandments, and then you're reading about the flood, and then you learn about some of the minor prophets, and you go, Hosea, what's that about? And you have all these different pieces in your mind and then you go over to the New Testament and you hear different parables about from Jesus and different stories and teaching and then you see the church growing through the book of Acts and read different letters and you're coming to different um, learning different names and locations and you get to the book of Revelation and you're like whoa what's that all about do you ever wonder if there's an overarching theme, an overarching story, if you will. Well, not only that, for some of us, the Bible's not only just a pile of pieces. For some of us, we have missing pieces. You ever put a puzzle together and you, you can't find one piece? For some of us, we ignore parts of the Bible. They're missing pieces to us, especially those things we don't really want to hear. Oh, it gets complicated because for some of us, we've added pieces. We add things. We've talked about that before, kind of salad bar theology. We pick what we want. We add stuff from that worldview. We hear, we hear something over here. Oh, this guy said something on the internet. Must be true. And so we add all that, and we have this amalgamation, all these pieces into the mix. Greg Kokel writes this, even with all the right pieces, few Christians have ever assembled their puzzle in an accurate way to make sense of the whole thing. Now, if you're a puzzle person, you know there's a trick, he writes. You look at the cover. You look at the cover to see how the different pieces go together. Uh, He writes, you look at the cover, seeing the whole thing at once helps you know where the individual parts fit in. Friends, the Bible is one book with God as its author, it's made up of 66 books written by 
40 different human authors over a span, get this, of over 1,500 years, and it's written in three different languages on three different continents. But the Bible is this unified collection of books that shares a common storyline. One of Francis Schaeffer's most memorable sayings was that Christianity does not start with Jesus saves you from your sins. It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Apologist Nancy Percy says something similar. It's perfectly true that Jesus came to save us from that deforming disorder called sin, but starting with that is like going into a movie theater halfway through the film. You don't know who the characters are. You can't figure out the plot, and you're constantly guessing at the events leading up to that point. Friends, settle this. In a real sense, the Bible It's not about you. It's all about God. You're not the hero of the story. God is. Now, some see the Bible as about themselves. Others view the Bible as just, well, just a list of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts. But at its core, the Bible is the story about God's glory and the unfolding grace of the gospel. And the Bible contains the only true worldview because it is the only view of reality in which all the pieces fit together. Here's our main idea. The story of God is all about the glory of God. A couple years ago, I asked for some feedback on Facebook from people who like putting puzzles together. I wasn't prepared for the response. Within 24 hours, 116 people commented. People like doing puzzles. (laughs) Here are the three most helpful suggestions when putting a puzzle together. First, build off the four corner pieces. Uh, I got to share something here. So this is a thousand piece puzzle. I asked Sheila Kershack if she had any puzzles. Sheila has everything. So if you need anything, start with Sheila. Because then I'd have to go buy a puzzle. So Sheila gave me this puzzle. So now it's late in the day on Friday. And I'm thinking it would be really nice to find these four corner pieces. And so I went into Marie Guyton's office, and I said, hey, Marie. She goes, hi, Brian. I said, are you busy? And I could tell she was. She said, yeah, I'm working on something. And I said, okay, and I just left. And then I heard Marie say, do you need anything? (laughs) And I said, well, I have this. And she said, I'll gladly do it. And so Marie, thank you. She waded through all these 1,000 pieces to find the four corner pieces. That's an illustration of the challenge that we have and the joy we have, find those four corner pieces and the puzzle begins to make sense. Next, find the central subject and keep referring back to the big picture. These are helpful tips when trying to make sense of the Bible. As we discover the four corner pieces, find the central subject and keep referring back to the big picture because Christianity is not just another 
worldview. It's not just one of many to choose from. No, it is the one true story of reality resonating deep within each person it touches. It is true for all times, for all peoples, and at all places. The biblical narrative outlines how God is the creator, how he responds to our fallenness, and how he is working to reconcile the world to its intended purpose. Within this meta-narrative or big story, we see how God is directing history and he'll ultimately defeat all opposition. The Bible provides answers to life's fundamental questions and offers a vision for true human flourishing. So a meta-narrative is this grand story that explains and provides a context for understanding and explaining all other stories. Got Questions says, a meta-narrative speaks of absolute universal truth, while an individual narrative speaks of, we hear this all the time, what is true for me and gives meaning to my life. Uh, This unfolds in Ephesians chapter one, making known to us the mystery of his will according to, so God's got a purpose. He's at work, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Now what's that purpose? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. These four words, capture the narrative arc of the entire Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. It's helpful to understand the Bible as one grand story of redemption where God is the main character. He created everything and he created us. Humans decided to go their own way by deliberately disobeying God, causing separation with God and for corruption to be unleashed throughout the world. God provided a solution for our sin by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to be raised on the third day. And he will ultimately restore creation to the perfect image he first intended. Now, In his book, The Story of Reality, Greg Kokel argues that a true worldview must answer these four worldview questions. And as you observe these questions, in your own mind, think, how does the Bible address these four questions? Where did we come from? What is our problem? What is the solution? And how will things end for us? Almost every good story has these four parts. It has a beginning which sets the stage, which tells you who the main characters are and how the story gets rolling. Then something goes wrong and eventually this conflict gets corrected and the wrong gets fixed. Finally, the parts of the plot resolve themselves into a satisfying ending. The Christian narrative is different from all other stories because it doesn't start with once upon a time. No, it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is not a fable. It's not fiction. It's factual. It's accurate because it's the real reality. It's the mega narrative of the way the world really is. So creation tells us how things began and where everything came from. The fall describes the problem, the big problem 
problem. So you see creation, Genesis 1 and 2. You get to chapter 3, sin, and then you see its effects all throughout Scripture. Redemption gives us the solution, which is Jesus Christ, and restoration describes what the world will look like once the repair takes place. When I was working on this sermon this week, I was at a coffee shop. A guy came up to me and he, he kind of looked at me. He smiled. I smiled at him and he looked at my table. I had a, a table there and I had my Bible open. I had notes everywhere. I had my laptop. And he kept looking at the table and he's like, what are you doing? What, what are you working on? And I smiled inside and I said, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. So I told him I was working on four words to describe the entire storyline of the Bible. He looked quizzical. He's like, and then he offered his own suggestion. He said, in God we trust? <laughs> I told him that was a pretty good answer. And then I had the opportunity to go over creation that God created us and he loves us and that we have a problem. That problem is sin and that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin and he was raised from the dead on the third day and Jesus is gonna make all things right after the day of judgment. He said he found those to be helpful. I was able to bridge into the gospel and invited him to church. So one reason we're going over this is so that we get these four key elements, these four key corner pieces in our minds because it will help us understand the Bible and will help us be able to communicate the Bible to those who don't understand it. See, one reason the message of Christianity no longer makes sense to people in our plural pluralistic society is because they're not familiar with the starting point. Concepts like sin and salvation, well, they don't make much sense to a lot of people. Now think with me about the Apostle Paul's approach in the book of Acts when he talked to Jewish people he could tie into their longing for a coming Messiah. He could reference things from the Old Testament. But when speaking to pagan Gentiles with multiple worldviews, it was imperative to begin at a more foundational level. And that's precisely the situation the Apostle Paul faced when he came to the city of Athens. I have been in this passage several times before. We need to come back to it because it is like the premier passage for how we can communicate the gospel in, in, while we're around people with different world views. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Listen as I read verses 16 to 18. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So he had been bounced out of Berea. He had to leave. He went to Athens, this beautiful, well-known city. He was in Athens waiting for the rest of the team to catch up. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So what did he do? Well, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout person, so he went where the religious people were, the, those with an Old Testament background, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed 
with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Would you observe, instead of being impressed with what Paul saw in this beautiful city, verse 16 says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. That phrase, full of idols, means the city was covered with or under idols. There were gobs of gods everywhere. One ancient writer estimated there were 30,000 gods in the city, making it easier to bump into an idol, a false religion, to bump into an idol than an individual. When the weather's nice, I like to get up early on Sundays and go for a prayer run. Um, I'm listening to Voice of the Martyrs while I'm running, and I run down Kennedy Drive in Moline, and I first start at Homewood Evangelical Free Church. I'm in their parking lot. I know Pastor Mark and Andy, and they are gospel guys. I pray for Homewood as they proclaim the gospel. Then I come out of that parking lot and I go into Christ the King Catholic Church's parking lot and I'm praying there that they would understand God's grace and the glory of the gospel. I was raised Catholic, so my heart is for Catholics to come to know Jesus. And then I leave that parking lot and I go in the parking lot of North Crest Calvary Baptist Church. Their senior their pastor just retired. I'm praying for them that God would lead them to a new pastor and praying they'll be faithful in their proclamation of the gospel. And then I cross the street and I go into the parking lot of the Mormon church. And I'm praying there some warfare prayers. I'm I'm praying that they would understand grace. And then I'm in the parking lot of the Greek Orthodox church and, and then I end at the Muslim mosque. And often when I'm in that parking lot, I'm feeling heaviness but I'm also feeling boldness as I pray. And while I'm in that parking lot today, the podcast I was listening to, there's a a missionary in a Muslim country who is describing how millions of Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And it hit me. You and I live in Athens today. We live surrounded by all these different world views. Now, they might not always be obvious, but when you talk to somebody, when you observe somebody, you can see it. So that word for provoked is where we get the word seizure from. Paul was so morally shocked when he saw all this idol worship, his insides convulsed. He was angry, he was agitated, he was deeply distressed about the depth of their depravity. Has that ever happened to you? You see something and you're like, "Ah." you hear something on the news, you read something. It happened to me this week, something on my news feed. It was repulsive, it was revolting, it was repugnant. I felt nauseous. I didn't go looking for it, it was just there. My guess is you've had to look away. I hope you look away. One pastor put it like this, if you're not filled with indignation, you will not have courage to do what Paul did. But if you only have indignation, you won't have the gentleness that you need. Some time ago, I was behind a car filled with bumper stickers. You ever seen a car like that? 
It's not just on the bumper. It was like on the trunk, on the back window. There were bumper stickers everywhere, and I'm trying to read them, and there were all different messages, but one jumped out at me. Here's what it said. Don't mess with me. I have more gods than you do. I got a little bit closer, and underneath were nine symbols representing these idols. It made me grieve. (laughs) Honestly, I had to fight back the temptation to speed up, roll down my window, and yell, oh, yeah, my God is the maker of heaven and earth, and he's mightier than any of your so-called gods. Just kidding, I didn't do that. (laughs) But I say that to say this. That's not the approach Paul took. He didn't start yelling at people. He, he didn't, like, I got to get out of here. No, he didn't do that. He didn't yell at people made in the image of God. Verse 17 tells us he built bridges with those in the marketplace. And would you observe, he did it daily, every day. In verse 18, we're introduced to two groups of philosophers. They represent two major worldviews at that time. They were popular, and there was a lot of discussion about these. The first worldview, well, they were called the Epicureans. The Epicureans were atheists. They denied God's existence and the afterlife. They were content to just live for today. That's why I have orange glasses on. They're just out to party. They're out to have a good time. If they had a motto, it would be this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do you know any Epicureans in the Quad Cities? You do. Is there an Epicurean living inside of you? I mean, if you're honest, it's hard to be honest, but if you're honest, is that how you're living? To maximize pleasure and minimize pain, that's what you're all about? Well, the Stoics, well, they were pantheists. Pantheists believe everything was God and God was in everything. Stoics strive to live in harmony with nature, focusing on self-control. That's the view of their world. Their self-control, self-sufficiency, their attitude toward life was one of ultimate resignation. If they had a motto, it would be something like, grin and bear it. Apathy was regarded as the highest virtue in life. Maybe a modern-day Stoic, if you were to ask them how they're doing, getting by, just hanging out, doing nothing, just waiting for another day. Do you know anybody just going through the motions? You do. Any Stoicism in your life? Or you're like, uh, I'm on autopilot. I'm flat. I'm just stumbling through life. Are you just stumbling through life, or are you just living for your own pleasure? You don't have to stay that way. Jesus offers so much more, what he refers to as the abundant life. But first, you must surrender to him. Will you do that right now? To summarize, it's helpful to understand the Bible as one grand story of redemption, where God is the main character. He created everything, and He created us. 
humans decided to go their own way by deliberately disobeying God, causing separation and corruption to be unleashed in our world. God provided a solution for our sin by sending Jesus to die on the cross and be raised on the third day, and He will ultimately restore creation back to the perfect image He first intended. Christianity is not just another worldview. It is the one true story of reality, resonating deep within each person that it touches. It is true at all times, for all people, and at all places. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.